Longbox Crusade presents a monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I, yes, yes, you've heard me say this many times, am a movie lover. I have a huge collection of movies, part of which I bought with the guy I brought here, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I am often surprised when people I run into or people I've known for a long time have not seen one of my favorite movies or a movie that I call a classic. So in order to fix this error, I sit down with my friend, make them watch the movie, and then talk to them about their thoughts and impressions. And as I kind of have alluded to a little bit here, I have decided to bring one of my oldest friends into this mixture and ask him about a movie that I know I owned when we lived together. And that is my best friend, Steve Platts. Steve, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I know that podcasting is not necessarily your thing. So I really do appreciate you uh, stretching yourself out a little bit and coming onto my show and, you know, chatting with me about this. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. So I'm excited. And it's not like we haven't talked about movies before. No, not ever. Once in our whole lives. <laughs> I think we invented a game based on connecting movie actors with movie titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we spent hours and hours and hours doing that before, you know, we had phones to distract us. Yes. <laughs> and phones that we could cheat with. <laughs> yes, that too. We have been best friends since seventh grade or eighth yep. grade. Yeah, seventh yes. grade, seventh grade. About sometime after high school, we actually moved in and we were roommates for about uh, five years, six years, something like that. I think, I think it was about six. Yeah. So we, we have spent a lot of time around each other. And like, and like we said, we have talked about movies. We have seen movies. We have, I think I mentioned to uh, somebody else recently that we used to have a place where we, it was you, me, and another roommate. Whenever anybody was home, the TV was on and there was always a movie playing. In some beginning, middle, end, there was just something that was on the TV playing. And so we just came in like, oh, we're watching this, the show, this movie. The TV was always on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, we frequently had guests, and we frequently we were joking and or commenting on the movie. Yeah, a lot of Mystery Science Theater 3000 going on with our uh, movie-watching experience. Only a uh, little less PG. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. When I talked to you about this, and I asked you to send me a list of movies that you thought, you know, were some great movies that you have missed, you sent me a list, and a few of them I was actually very surprised, because... I know I own those movies when we were living together, and it surprised me that you hadn't seen them. But I looked through the list, and it took me a little while, because I really wanted to find one that I thought that we would have fun with talking about. And I decided to hit you up with Fargo from 1996. And uh, yes, I still have my VHS copy that I had when we were roommates. <laughs> oh, cool. Fargo. This is directed and produced and written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, starring Francis McDormand, William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi, Harv Presnell, Peter Stormare. This is a very interesting movie. It's, uh, of course, one of the Cohen Brothers movies. They've done a series of movies that all feature interesting or unique and possibly criminal characters. But I'm not going to talk about this movie. I want to find out what you know about this movie. So what have you heard about Fargo? without actually seeing the film? Well, um, I know it takes place, obviously, in Fargo, North, North Dakota. I know that McDermott plays a sheriff and is pregnant, and I know there's a scene with a wood chipper. <laughs> and I'm not 100% sure, but my understanding is that it's kind of a black comedy. 
That would be about right. And how did you not see this when we were living together? How did you not go with us when we saw this in the theater or when we when I bought the film? How how did it miss by you? Um, I don't know. Never came up. It's not something that I've had a huge craving to see. I don't have anything against it. And since we are no longer living together, I've kind of limited my movie taste quite a bit more. It's a lot of just summer popcorn blockbusters these days, not as much stepping out of my comfort zone, stuff we used to watch when we lived together. That is a fair point. I think that it does happen when you limit the people that you are watching movies with or you you don't get out to see movies with your friends or your friends and you don't get together to watch just a random hodgepodge of movies, you tend to look at the things that interest you instead of actually challenging you, kind of like you said. So that's a very fair point. Yeah, that's more or less where I'm at. Well, this will be interesting then. I think that this could be a fun time. I think that I'm interested to get your take on on this movie. I kind of miss hearing your view of certain characters, but I think that this is going to... I think that you are going to enjoy this. I feel like you're going to enjoy this, but I have been wrong in the past. But we will find out what happens after this commercial break and after you get a chance to see this film. So grab the popcorn and hang on tight because we're going to watch Fargo. I'm uh, Jerry Lindegard. You got the car? You bet. Brand new burnt umber Sierra. You want your own wife kidnapped. Her dad, he's real well off. So why don't you just ask him for the money? Ah! See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Wait, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's my wife. We gotta talk. It's something for Jeez, it's terrible. Oh, I got the state looking for a Sierra with a tag starting DLR. I'm not sure that I agree with you 100% on your police work there, Lou. I think that vehicle there probably had dealer plates. Jeez. DLR? No, they said no cops. Here's the second one. So we got a trooper pull someone over. This a new car then, sir? Oh, it certainly is, officer. Still got that smell. There's a high-speed pursuit. We got a shooting. And then this execution-type deal. A million dollars, a lot of damn money. They got my daughter. Hi, Jahan. Brought you some lunch, Margie. What are those, night crawlers? Oh, yeah, look pretty good. That's Jean. Who's Jean? My wife. <laughs> well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. You were having sex with a little fella then. Yeah. Mr. Lundegaard, do you mind if I sit down? Trying quite a loader. Where's Jerry? Got your damn money. Now where's my daughter? Jeez. Blood has been shit. We now want the entire 80,000. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here. You have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. What do you fellas got yourself mixed up in? Police! So, is there anything else you can tell me about him? He wasn't circumcised. Oh, yeah? And we are back. Now that we have had a chance to sit down and watch Fargo... I thought we'd go ahead and start having a little conversation about it. But before we do, for those of you who have never seen the film, first, shame on you. But two, I will go ahead and be nice, and I will give you a quick synopsis of the film. Fargo is a 1996 black comedy thriller film written, produced, and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Frances McDormand stars as Marge Gunderson, a pregnant Minnesota police chief investigating roadside homicides that ensue after a desperate car salesman, William H. Macy, hires two criminals 
who are not too bright, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare, to kidnap his wife in order to extort a hefty ransom from his wealthy father-in-law, played by Harv Presnell. A simple plan quickly falls apart as the situation escalates and the bodies start to pile up. The small-town sheriff puts the disparate pieces together and slowly figures out what is happening. So, Steve, first time seeing this film, what was your first impression? How much did it match up with your expectations of what you had heard about this film? Well, I didn't have a lot of expectations going into it, but I think if I had had them, they all would have been exactly right. Good or bad? Good, but diminished from not having seen the movie at its time. Okay. The main impression I got from it is everybody is doing their shtick. <laughs> William H. Macy is at his William H. Macyist. Yep. Steve Buscemi is at his Steve Buscemiist. The Coen brothers are at their Coen brothers. <laughs> but to be fair to the movie, this is before it became their shtick. Yeah. Or what made it their shtick. A lot of what I had seen when a lot of the movie I had seen similar in other movies, but they came after this movie. So it's not fair to blame this movie for it. I can see that. I can see that because this is this is the movie that really put William H. Macy, uh, Steve Buscemi, and even Francis McDormand, especially Francis McDormand, uh, you know, on the map. I mean, they'd all been around. They'd all been doing a, a little things here and there. But this was really the first commercially viable film that kind of kicked them over to the next step and really kind of brought them into the world, as it were. Yes. And I think I would have enjoyed it more and it would have been more fresh to me had I not seen particularly Buscemi and Macy playing similar roles in movies that came after this. Yes, I can, I can definitely see that they are, they are quite characters of exactly who they are in other films. The possible exception of William H. Macy doing the Dakota or Dakota accent, um, <laughs> which I think he pulls off pretty well, but yes, he does play his, nebbish kind of he believes he's in control but he's really not in control and he's very nervous about it type William H. Macy role yeah slightly confused and slightly good natured so again it was very familiar but it's not fair to blame this movie for that it'd be kind of like watching the movie Halloween and then pointing out all the so-called slasher movie cliches that are in the movie but were original when the movie was made Yes, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. It did kind of hit some of those points for you where it was, ah, okay, I've seen these things before. I've seen these things before. And you weren't enjoying it for the time being. Let me be clear. Let me be clear. It wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it. It was good. It just wasn't fresh. Fair enough. What about Frances McDormand's character? What did you think about her? She was charming. Very likable. Um, I don't remember seeing a lot of other stuff Frances McDormand has done, so I didn't have other characters that she reminded me of, but I thought she did well. Her character was very likable, and I enjoyed her scenes. Good, good. Let's go ahead and start hitting some of the the things that you really liked about the movie and some of the things that you really didn't like about the movie. Was there anything that stood out to you as one of your favorite scenes or favorite things about the movie? One, I like the scene, the second scene where William H. Macy and Frances McDormand are talking and she's uh, beginning to confront him about the missing car and he has absolutely no answer for her. 
it's not even fair to say that he starts to crack at this point because it's not like their first interaction was him playing with the best poker face in the world. But there is absolutely no pretense this time at all. And he is just losing it. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I liked about William H. Macy's character that ran through the whole movie and really drove the plot was his character's inability to think even one step ahead. <laughs> For example, when he purposely made the car serial numbers illegible when applying for the loan, it never occurred to him that they would keep hounding him till they gave him actual numbers. Yeah, yeah. He, he never thought out about, well, what if something changes in my situation and I need to call off this hit on my wife? Do I have yes. a plan for this? <laughs> what if my uh, father-in-law insists... And I can't stop him from doing the drop himself. What's my backup plan there? Because it's not like he's ever successfully stood up to his father-in-law. True. Also, at the end, when they catch him, it's because he kept that same car that he stole from the car lot and just kept that car. Because he's he is not a criminal mastermind. <laughs> he is not. And that brought a lot of entertainment to the movie for me. There was a little bit of cringe humor, but not overpowering mm -hmm. a little like watching Michael Scott in the office. <laughs> yeah, there, there is some, there can be some direct comparisons between the two characters. I think, I think that they are related somewhere down the gene pool. <laughs> I find that William H. Macy and Francis McDormand for me, they were the pieces of the film that really moved it along for me. Uh, Steve Buscemi was playing Steve Buscemi and there was entertainment value between the two criminals, but I was really just kind of like, what idiotic thing or what bad idea is William H. Macy's character going to have next? And that's kind of the one constant going through the thing. Like, okay, he's failing again. Great. What's it, how, how is he going to ineptly try to solve this problem? And then just watching Frances McDormand be charming and doing her job and living her life and solving this because she's 10 feet smarter than anybody else around her. <laughs> I don't even know that I would go with that as much as uh, one. She is smart. Yes. I'm not saying she's not, but it was really more that Macy's plan just fell apart right in her lap. Yeah, yeah, it it, it did, it did. But at the same time, there were, there were little pieces around where you realize that she is smarter than most of the people around her, and not in a way that she she is quite possibly. Which is, she's one of those legitimately nice people who she is smarter, but she doesn't rub it in. She doesn't point out other people's failings. She's just, oh, well, have you thought about this? Well, maybe you should think about this. And she's always trying to make people better. She's always trying to lift them up. Yeah, she does it all the time with her her own husband. You know, oh, no, that's, it's okay, honey. You got the three cent stamp. People are going to need that three cent stamp. You know, she's pregnant. She's working this case. It looks like her husband is a stay-at-home artist, but she's the one going out and going to the store to get him some worms, you know? It's it's the little things like that. But at the same time, he's also quite good, too. You know, he gets up, makes her a good breakfast. There's a loving relationship there, too. So I, I it's the little things, the little details in the film that always make it for me. Yes, both McDermott's character and her husband, both incredibly likable. Mm -hmm. They really made you enjoy the scenes that they were in and root for them. They add that these are real people. These are real individuals. There's more than just, you know, than the, 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 the two piece, the, the two dimensional cardboard cutouts that the criminals are. <laughs> 
Uh, what other highs and lows did you have? Or was there another some more highs and lows you wanted to bring up? I didn't really have too many other particular highs or lows. There's a couple nitpick lows. Sure. What do you got? The first one is there's a, a repeated joke of Steve Buscemi's character just being kind of funny looking. <laughs> and then being asked to describe how he's funny looking. And no one can elaborate. He's just funny looking. Right. And they kind of broke the rule of three there. I only recall it two incidents. Yeah. And I think the third incident would have really punched it. Yes. I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you completely because they, they, they nailed it the first time with the uh, two lovely ladies that they met at the truckers, uh, truck stop. And then they mentioned it again uh, when the sheriff's deputy was talking to the guy uh, who was shoveling his driveway, which was the most classic you know, North Dakota, let's talk about the weather. I don't want to get involved. I'm just mentioning it to you and in passing kind of conversation. But yeah, the one more time would have been would have been nice. Uh, yeah, the other minor complaint I have with the movie is just like you were talking, the representation of the Midwesterner. Yeah. It wasn't played straight, but it wasn't played over the top enough if you're going to do they should have chosen one or the other yeah it was i'm not sure exactly if they were going for uh the the mocking tone or if they were just replacing it here and so we're going to represent these characters i don't know for me i i don't know if it was a necessarily a negative for me i thought it was kind of part of the scenery and part of a little bit of of, of what's going on here these two criminals, they didn't belong, and they kind of stuck out a lot. He's kind of funny looking. Yeah, that makes sense to the Midwesterners, but, you know, it wouldn't make sense to him because he doesn't quite belong, and he can't quite understand what's going on. The characterization of the populace that's around is an interesting juxtaposition with these criminals. But you're right. I don't know if they necessarily was were going for the overt laughter or they were going for... Just just trying to make some point in there. That's an interesting observation. Yeah. Again, it didn't feel genuine and it didn't feel farcical. Yeah. It felt like someone who'd never been to the Midwest writing what they thought people of the Midwest sounded like. Fair enough. What did you think about the violence in the film? <laughs> it's definitely an interesting contrast to the rest of the movie. Uh -huh. It's... Uh, Again, contrasting it with the Midwestern over-politeness tone, it, it was a, a stark contrast. I didn't find it overly alarming or uh, shocking. Mm -hmm. um, the wood chipper scene being the, not I wouldn't say exception, but definitely the uh, most extreme yeah. scene. I didn't have an issue with it one way or another. I just thought it made an interesting... Uh, Contrast. It's part of what you were saying before. It's uh, the Cohen brothers being definitely the Cohen brothers before what we kind of have seen as their style of weaving in violence with the mundane. Yes. Another recurring thing that I found in at least the Cohen brothers movies that I've seen is nobody ever has a character arc. In this movie, everybody who lives is exactly the same as they were personality-wise and character-wise as they were when the movie began. It's yeah. almost more like a character study yeah. in, in that way. 
And I found other Cohen movies and I'm not an expert on them, but the ones that I recall, I recall them also not having really character arcs. It's just wacky care. Wacky is not even a, uh, the right word. Um, uh, quirky characters in a series of events. It's, it's a slice of life with these characters. It's, it's almost a bit of like a comic book itself, because if you look at some of the, especially Bronze Age or Silver Age comics, you'll see a lot of times where the, you pull up the comic book, the characters will do this adventure, and that at the end, they're going to be pretty much exactly the same. We are going to put the toys back in the toy box when we're done playing with them, and they're going to be exactly the same. We're not, they're not going to change all that much. There's not going to be, they're not going to grow and change and modify anything. They're just experiencing this one thing. And then the next writer is going to come and pick these characters up and do something else with them. Um, I liked what you said at the beginning of that comment about it being a slice of life. Yeah. And yeah. that's what this feels like, a slice of life that just happens to have seven murders. In it. <laughs> yeah. Seven, seven murders that um, it's just a simple plan for money. That's all. It's just extortion. That's all it is. Nobody's going to get hurt. Nobody's going to get hurt. Um, is there any other things that you wanted to bring up? No, thank you. The last thing like I wanted to comment was the lack of character arcs. Yeah. And again, not as a criticism, as an observation. That only leaves us with one final thing, and that's to find out how many full bags of popcorn would you give this movie? Now, we like to go ahead and just do that as one to five. We try to keep it as simple as possible. We do not do any halves on this network. So simple one to five full bags of popcorn, five being the highest. What would you rank this film? I'd give it a solid four. Okay. It's not probably the first movie I would recommend or suggest at movie night. But if that was what we end up watching, I would have no complaints. Cool. Excellent. Fantastic. I, I think I would definitely agree with you on that one. You said uh, Coen Brothers have a plethora of movies at their disposal. And there are some that people are going to like better than this one. Some people are going to like less. I know that coming up in my rotation, I've got another one that I'll be doing just a little down the line. But I, I think that this is a good representation, a good starting point for where the Coen brothers have taken us over the years. Now, this is usually the point in time in the show where I plug my guests, but my best friend, Steve here, he's not really internet person, personality. He's doing this just because we love talking. I'm not social media. <laughs> no, you're not a social media personality. We are just doing this because we like to talk movies together and we don't get a chance to do it that much. And we thought we would do this in front of all you all fine folks. So, I'm not going to bother him about where he can find him. You aren't going to find him if you, even if you look really, really hard. Just don't do that. Now, me, you can find me on Twitter. That's not a problem at all. You can bug me all day long on Twitter. And you can find me at JeffRickPresent. Or you can look at my other podcast that I do, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my personal wood chipper, Jeff. And on that show, we talk about the most underrated comic book of the 80s, Power Pack. So check us out to listen to us talk about that and drink beer. It's fun. I'd like to do a thank you to Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this attic, their headquarters, to broadcast my show, and to their sponsor, Omaha Bound, and also to the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support the network, head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. Now, until next time, we're going to go ahead and close down the attic, but you, my friends, can grab the popcorn, pull up a seat, and we'll be back with our next episode in one month's time. Theme music is The Entertainer by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. <laughs>